A lot of people with childhood PTSD were fed a steady diet of denial. Bad things were happening, and even if the parents weren't doing the bad things, they were incapable of noticing that something was terribly wrong, and they didn't protect you, and that would have injured your ability to see things now as they are, to read the room, to understand where people are coming from when they say one thing but do another. And denial may have trained you to express your wishes and then be surprised and angry and confused when other people don't honor what you just asked for. Hey, it's Anna here, just taking a little pause to talk about getting help when you're having a rough time. There are a lot of things you can try, and one of them is online therapy through BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible, and those are very good things. Because finding a therapist can be really hard. BetterHelp makes it easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist who meets your criteria. And when you click the special link that I'm going to give you, it not only helps this podcast, but it gets you 10% off your first month of therapy. So you can connect with a therapist, see what happens, and if anything feels like it's not a fit, which is common in therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost. No stress about insurance or who's in your network or anything like that. So if you're struggling and you need to talk to a human, try BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash C-C-F. C-C-F stands for crappy childhood fairy. That's BetterHelp dot com slash C-C-F. There's also a link in the episode description if you need it. That might be easier. Thanks for sponsoring us, BetterHelp. Now, back to the show. My letter today is from a woman I'll call Caroline, and she writes, Hi, Anna. I'm 29 years old and currently hold a good job, and I'm living comfortably on my own with my dog and two cats. Okay, I've got my fairy pencil. I'm going to circle things I want to come back to on a second reading, but let's read through Caroline's letter and see what's going on. She says, I'm the youngest of five children, with my sister being the next one up from me, and she's eight years older than I am. I also have three brothers, two of whom suffer from various mental health problems. The third is in a federal prison with a 30-year sentence for being involved in online material that harms children. I changed the words there for the sake of everybody on YouTube, but I think you know what I mean. Okay. What memories I do have of my childhood were not entirely happy. My father worked a lot and was absent when it came to extracurricular activities that we kids were involved in, but he was also loving at times. I was a big daddy's girl and still consider myself that today. My father is a very charismatic man, but I think he has narcissistic tendencies. It's still hard today to see my father in a bad light and to criticize his character. My mother was caring but often stressed out due to finances and the care of the house and us kids, as well as holding a part-time job, and most of my memories of my parents were of them fighting. My dad had major anger issues and would often destroy walls, doors, or objects. Ah, oh, yeah. Neither him nor my mother truly abused us except the occasional whipping or spanking. I spent a lot of my childhood in fear of my father's agony, angry outbursts, and I did all I could to please him and make his life easier. I was a difficult child, in my opinion, in that I was argumentative and fought a lot with my mother. 
which would cause arguments between my parents. I'm not sure. Hmm, I think that's a big deal. Okay. I'm not sure when or at what age it started, but my oldest brother, the one in prison, abused both my sister and me, though I only recently found out about my sister. I was told by my mother that she walked in on my brother abusing her, and my father beat my brother in hopes that would not happen again. My parents didn't know the abuse he inflicted on me until I told them about six years ago. Yeah. All that time, you didn't feel like you could. Mm -hmm. I get it. Uh, and six years ago when he got arrested, I often felt emotionally neglected as a child and alone. Not, yeah, you were. We moved a lot when I was young, so I never truly established lasting friendships. My parents divorced about five years ago after 40 years of marriage due to my father's infidelity with a woman 20 years his junior. That woman is still his, quote, partner today though he's happy and the calmest I've ever seen him. It hurts to know that she is so much more a priority to him than us kids ever were to him. I could go on with examples, but this is not about their relationship. His complete 180 degree change has made it more difficult to keep the idyllic image of my father intact. He no longer believes in religion, and so his hypocrisy, because there was a part of the letter I didn't read just for length, that. It was very strict religion when she was a kid. He no longer believes in religion, and so his hypocrisy has really screwed all of us kids up, considering we had to be the perfect pastor's kids growing up, and we weren't, or we would be punished. Off topic, but his lack of empathy, love, or attention to our family dog, and hatred for cats was always a sad part of my childhood. I relate to that, Caroline. Yeah. It hits you later, doesn't it? Like if they would treat animals that way, what does that say? Kind of opens your eyes about your own treatment. However, he's now a cat lover because his girlfriend, who's still married, I might add. Oh, there you go. You're getting into their relationship. We're not going to go there. But she's living with him, is a huge cat lover, and got him two cats of his own. And the relationship with my father now is rocky on my part because I still just try to please him and end up feeling rejected and abandoned by him. I've never had any successful romantic relationships and friendships prove difficult in my younger adult years. I've watched enough of your videos, daily practice, and calls to now be able to name some of my issues. However, I still can't seem to fix myself no matter how hard I try, no matter how many self-help books I read or listen to, and no matter how much my family members try to encourage me. I'm at the end of my rope. I feel like I'm in a room filling up with water and I'm trying to suck whatever oxygen is left to survive. It's quite an image. The most recent failed fling has really debilitated me in every facet of my life and I'm so frustrated with myself. This guy, Tom, I met on a dating app and it seems like he ticked all your green light boxes. She's talking about a free PDF that I have called um, green lights. It's um, signs to look for when you're first dating somebody. He is 12 years older than I am, but I tend to date older. And he arranged our first date at a very nice restaurant, and we hit it off instantly. It was simple dinner and then, and then a hug goodbye. And since then, we've been on six dates, all of which he initiated and planned. Unfortunately, I succumbed to my sexual urges on the second date with him. However, this was after I disclosed that I have an incurable but under control STD. He said that he respected me for telling him 
and knew that, that that took a lot of courage. And he also said that he wants me to trust him and we don't have to rush anything. Boy, I screwed that up. No pun intended. Okay. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I noticed since talking with him over the past month that he's not a big texter or communicator. But I chalked that up to his age and his personality. I didn't think much of it since he always reached out to me to see if I wanted to get dinner or go somewhere, even if it was after two days of silence. Well, fast forward to last Wednesday, he texted me saying, Hi, my LA buddy is in town this weekend, so I'll be hanging out with him, but would you like to go out to dinner with him and his girlfriend next week? She gets in on Monday, and I replied with, Sure, that sounds fun. Just let me know what day you guys decide. And he then liked the message, and I didn't hear from him again after until Friday when he asked if I was free to grab dinner that evening, which was unexpected, but I agreed. We had a really nice evening and I could feel I was starting to really like him, but I was saving the what are your expectations talk for the next date. But it's like he could smell it on me. The next day, Saturday, we didn't talk much since he was hanging out with his out of town friend and his brother. and. He did send me a selfie of all of them hanging out, which I replied with a nice sentiment, and we had a really brief small talk, and then out of nowhere, complete radio silence for three days. Until I broke that silence with a text and said simply, Hi, how are you? With which he replied three hours later saying, Hey, sorry I missed your last text the other night. I'm cool. Just getting ready for family coming and stuff. How are things going with you? And per my dad's advice, oh, I like that your dad is helping you with this. I just replied with, I'm doing well. Looking forward to seeing my family tomorrow. Uh, hope you have a nice weekend. He loved my message, I guess a little heart, and said, Hope you have a good weekend too. Enjoy the time with your family. And that was it. I haven't heard from him since then. Anna, I'm so baffled and have every emotion running in me that I'm driving myself mad and to self-harming. Uh-oh. Can't have that. I just don't understand how he can show such interest and then so easily ghost me out of nowhere, especially after we had such a nice time together just days before and he wanted me to be to meet his friend. I can't seem to think about anything else no matter how much I try to stay occupied. Why am I so stuck in this cycle that I can't seem to break? Why am I so distraught over a guy I barely know? Please help. Much love from Caroline. Okay, Caroline, I got you. Now, you, if you've watched a lot of my videos, I know on some level you know what I'm going to say. And you did catch it. You know, you said you succumbed to your sexual urges. So you have CPTSD, it sounds like. And when you have sex, you attach to somebody, even though it's only the second date. And just like neurologically, like I know this experience, we can't help it. Our mind just races ahead and constructs a relationship where we can land and feel at home. And it's something that we really are looking for and wait anticipating in our lives. But you cannot make it on a second date. You just can't. And so when you're wondering, like, how could somebody ghost you after everything being so nice? It's like, okay, I'm going to tell you something. It's called dating. Now, I don't agree with ghosting. And this, you know, this, your letter to me came after it had just been a few days. So I don't know if you heard from him since then. 
but basically he liked you and then something happened that changed his feelings. And that is almost always going to happen for one or both people who go on a date or two. It's almost always going to happen. Like you don't just date one person and live happily ever after. It takes time getting to know some different people. And then it really takes time to get to know one person. So I want to tell you the purpose of dating isn't to, you know, fill up your your loneliness, even though it's kind of hard not to hope that it will do so, right? But that's, you have to keep in mind what it's really for. It's to get to know people who in the future might be the one that you want to be with in the future, but you're not with them in the beginning. And because you're not with them, it doesn't, I don't think it's consistent with the values you've expressed here to be sleeping with them. Dating is a getting to know you thing. It's what it's for. And when you start noticing dating that somebody like doesn't respond for three days or that thing where he said, we'll hang out with my friend, but it sounds like he just didn't follow up on that. Like something happened, but that's what happens. You know, did somebody else walk into his life from the past or some new person? Did he, um, you know, does, is he actually like bipolar and you don't know that about him yet? And he's going through a rough time. We don't know. But that's why it takes time to date people. It takes time to see what are they like under pressure? What are they like when people come to visit? And so as much as we can, we want to go very slow in the beginning and keep our heads grounded, you know, and just like, I'm just getting to know this person. They may be dating other people. They owe me nothing. Um, we have agreed to eat dinner. We're going to talk. We're going to get to know each other. Now, you know, there's flirty energy. Maybe there's a, like a romantic undercurrent, but if you have childhood PTSD and what you told me about your growing up, and this is, I really could see where the pattern was set in the way you grew up. But if that's how you grew up, attachment is going to be like full of little nails and broken glass. And that is why we have to go so consciously towards relationships with people more than other people. I don't know how they date. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they survive all the hookup culture stuff. If you have that attachment wound and you just naturally, you know, it's just like, I don't know, you know, the, like people are so attractive, aren't they? Like, it just would be so great if you could just jump in, but it's always like this. The feelings that you're describing, I worry that you feel self-harming. Like, please don't. I'm here to just reassure you. This is just normal stuff. It's important to just psychologically set yourself up for a first date by just saying, nothing is riding on this. This is not, this is not the end all be all of my life. I'm getting to know somebody. And if I like this person, I will be open to a second date if that's how we both feel. And if I like the second date, I will be open to a third date. But you take it just very incrementally, very one step at a time. This is the deal. So here's what I saw from you growing up is you got deprived of attention and love. Your mom was completely stressed out. Your dad was angry and absent. And then he goes off, you know, with this um, new relationship. Now, if I can just give you a bit of advice about that, we don't really have a say over our parents' choice of relationship. And it's, it's very, very common for somebody at a certain point in life to leave their past relationship and get into a new one. And if he's happier, it just sounds like it was possibly a good move. You know, I never like for marriages to bust up, but after all your parents had been through, they, um, I would have guessed that they did all that with all the, you know, raging and criticizing and um, fighting. He had anger issues. Sounds like he was a really unhappy person and so was your mom. So it is possible sometimes for people to move on in a happy way.
And then you say you were a difficult child and that you were argumentative and fought with your mom. So I just can't help but just wonder if on some level your little, your girl spirit, your teenage, you know, spirit, if you'll forgive the phrase, <laughs> right, Nirvana song. But if that spirit in you was angry at your mom for allowing things to get so bad, that that was the parent who was, that was the parent who was safe for you to be mad at. And I'd have been angry too. This, this was terrible. Most of all, because of the abuse from your brother, they were oblivious to you. Oh my gosh, Caroline, they were oblivious. And, um, I've heard people, there are some people who are very hateful and say, well, as a child, it's your fault because you didn't tell anybody. And they, they can't possibly understand what's at stake in telling parents about something like this when the parents are unstable and prone to get violent. As children, we often feel like we have to like protect um, fellow siblings, even the abusive one, from abuse that could kill them. We feel like we have to protect the marriage from, you know, we, we take on this responsibility. It's natural, it's normal. No one is to blame for how they handle something as a kid. But of course you were mad at your parents and I just think your mom was the safe one. And I see that all the time. You know, we get, we, we hold our anger at the one we can afford to be mad at. But over time, the more you reflect on what happened, it's like, wait, you know, the nice parent, the daddy's girl, dad was, he was totally part of this, part of the neglect. And, you know, who, to, I just have to tell you, you know, your parents made a mistake thinking that because they, your dad beat your brother, that all was solved. And having raised kids myself, I could say it is possible for kids to have secrets, but the parent's job is to be so close with the kids that you can feel when something is wrong. You can feel it. You can feel when they're harboring some terrible shame or some, some injury. And you can get at that as a parent by saying, how, hey, how are you doing? It seems like you feel a little tense. And they will often say, especially in their teens, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. So I have this like trick question. I go, how are you doing as a person? And often like, you know, my kids during the lockdown, one of them was, you know, already going to school in LA and I couldn't see him for a long time. My younger son was living at home and couldn't see his friends for a long time. And at, at the age of 16, that's just like the worst thing. So we became best friends and I would ask him every day, how are you doing? And I was concerned. He go, fine, I'm fine. That's just always his default answer, but I can still get him to open up a little bit when I say, oh, good. How are you doing as a person? <laughs> and then I have um, some more trick questions and I go, what was like the hardest thing for you today? Mine was this, what was your hardest thing today? And then he'll think about it and he'll tell me and I go, what was your best thing? And I know those are like, they're almost so like trite, they're Hallmark cards, but they work. So for anybody who's a parent, it's like connect with your kids so that you can actually have an, a gut feeling for how they're doing. Now, if your parents had CPTSD, and why do I think they did? Because they often do if they were engaged in all the fighting and you know uh, raised kids who, one of them in prison, that's often what's been going on generationally. So if that's the case, they're probably not that tuned into the kids or they weren't. And when you say your dad, he can't seem to tune into you now and he just loves the cats and the new girlfriend, it sounds to me like he's enjoying the opportunity to have more love and connection in his life, but so far anyway, he can't deal with what he did and failed to do. So far he can't. And my experience with that is it, that confronting them about it doesn't tend to 
go well. It just doesn't tend to go well. The most important thing is that you face how you feel about it and you have the opportunity to talk about, write about, you know, work on a healing path around it because there's what happened and um, some, you know, like old traditional approaches to healing are all about, oh, you talk about what happened, you talk about what happened. Well, when it's of this caliber, it's so terrible, right? That talking about it is so re-triggering. You don't, you don't necessarily, you don't have to talk about it forever. You can start to work on the symptoms it's causing. And that's what you're describing right now is not having very clear boundaries about First, what do you want in a relationship? What do you want? And then uh, only dating people who meet those criteria and giving the dating enough time and oxygen and open communication to find out, are they on the same page with you about what you want? How, just because a guy is really nice to you and interested in you and calls you for several dates doesn't mean that he's interested in the same you know, end result for that relationship. And so everybody gets to want what they want. And our job is to have communication with them. So you might want to take my dating course. You were saying you did the, like the daily practice and the calls and stuff. Come take the course. You know what else? Come be a member. And when you're a member, you get access to all my courses, but we have that community where a whole bunch of other people are going through similar things and people support each other. And I can't stress enough, like, Alone, we can't always make rational decisions about relationships. Together, we can. And if you, if you were to be like in our membership community in the secret Facebook group, somebody will say, I don't know what to do about this relationship situation. There's men and women there. And, um, and, and people will chime in. <laughs> and if you ask for advice, um, we have a rule like no unsolicited advice. But if somebody says, any, you know, what have you ever done if, you know, you waited three days and they didn't text you back? And so you'll get a few opinions like you shouldn't deal with people at all or you should call him or, you know, you'll get different opinions. You don't have to take all of them, but you get to feel the experience of just being another person with other people who struggle with this too. And together you can start to kind of reason out like what are the circumstances where calling might be a good idea and people get good results and what are the circumstances where blocking might be the thing and what are the circumstances where you just sit and wait and see what happens and the dating course which you get you know is part of the membership i really spend a lot of time at the beginning going over what do you want and then helping you identify what is your magical thinking pattern that has you skipping over the part where you know what you're getting into that's why we end up surprised and just like hurt in relationships is, you know, we just didn't see it coming because we were in magical thinking, which is what trauma does. So it's okay. It's not like we're not bad people for having a very typical symptom of trauma. And we're good people when we start working on it together with other people so that we can, you know, get real, just get real. Um, it's totally possible to have a happy and loving relationship. And it definitely helps when you don't spend a whole bunch of time, you know, a bunch of dates, a bunch of years, right, with somebody who isn't into you. And the thing is, when you're in a relationship that's kind of um, dreadful and hurtful and always disappointing or even demeaning to you, it takes something away from you. So if you have like five of those relationships, it's a bit of a setback. It's you can heal. You can still heal but you got a lot of more work to do to sort of overcome the pattern that that starts carving into your spirit, right? Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs in the episode description below or on my website, 
crappychildhoodfairy.com. If you're going through a hard time and you need online therapy, I encourage you to check out BetterHelp. They're easy and affordable, and they can connect you with someone you choose within a few days. And if you use this special URL, you not only help this channel, but you get 10% off your first month of therapy. So go to betterhelp.com slash ccf, as in crappy childhood fairy. That's betterhelp.com slash ccf. And remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD and have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.